And I think retailers have, have really begun to follow very foundational, fundamental brand development processes for private label, which is refreshing to see. It is good customer segmentation. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. We've been seeing more retailers invest in private label. Sure, private label has always been part of the industry mix, but especially over the last few years, we've seen a lot of investment and a lot of innovation in this area. Two brands that immediately come to mind for me are Target and Foxtrot, two very different sides of retail coin in terms of size, but they both have really nailed that mix of relevant products, relevant storytelling, and incredible creative. To really dig into these examples and some of the lessons that other retailers can apply, I'm sitting down with Todd Mari, who is a partner at CBX. We dig into some of his work, his firm's approach, and of course, how retailers should be thinking about private label strategy, from initial research and ideation, all the way through to innovation. Todd, thanks so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. Thank you, Alicia. It's great to be here, and thanks for having me. So before we dig into the topic at hand today, one that I'm very passionate about personally, why don't you tell us all a little bit about CBX and just the work you do day to day? Sure. So I'm Todd Mowdy. I'm one of the partners at CBX. We're a branding agency. We have an office in New York, and we also have an office in Minneapolis. And we're a full-service branding agency that really focuses on helping our clients figure out the best way that they can take their brand, whether it's a consumer packaged goods or whether it's a corporate brand, and connect that to a consumer, right? Because a brand is really a relationship with a consumer. And across the agency, we have a full strategy offering, brand strategists, brand architecture strategists, verbal strategists, design strategists, full creative capabilities across design, both 2D and 3D, a full client services department. And we work, you know, we've, we've had the benefit of working with very large consumer packaged goods companies, small startup companies, major retailers, regional retailers, international companies in the dog food space, in the pet space, in the convenience space, in the mass merchant space. And so we've had a lot of diversity. And on a day-to-day basis, my job is to work with a very creative and talented group of people across those disciplines to work with our key clients, whether they're retailers or consumer packaged goods, to, to really help them shape their brand story and bring that brand to life in both the retail environment, in packaging, in experience, on the web, in social media. And it's really it's really about telling their brand story and hoping at the end of the day that we're expanding brand loyalty and at the most part, building share of heart and share of wallet. Because at the end of the day, the strength of the brand is really going to build the longevity and growth that a brand can have. I love it. And I think we're going to get into a lot of that because those are a lot of areas I'm very passionate and curious about. But of course, a big part of brand strategy is understanding what the brand represents, its values, its 
story in context of the consumer, right? Making sure that it's evolving and adapting appropriately across all of those different channels and touch points that you outlined in your last response. So of course, we're seeing a lot of data right now. We always see a lot of data in this industry around consumer behaviors, how they're evolving, especially in light of what's happening contextually from an economic standpoint, especially. So I'm curious, I mean, what trends are you seeing rise to the top now from a consumer perspective? Because I know there was a lot of talk around economic uncertainty, but now some new data is saying, oh, that's not so much the case. There's less talk of a recession. That's kind of leveling out. So I'm I'm curious what you're seeing right now from a consumer data standpoint. You know, I'll say this, the last three years, coming out of a pandemic and dealing with financial troubles across the board, you're seeing an enormous amount of change. I mean, the last three years have been almost unpredictable, and which has meant that a lot of brands, whether you're a retailer or a consumer packaged goods, has really had to be responsive and quick. Well, I think when the pandemic hit, we actually saw people shift from eating out more and ordering out more to eating at home more and shopping more. But then you also had lockdowns to deal with. And so consumers weren't going to the store as much. And then you saw a massive rise in online shopping. And then that even got bifurcated with online, you know, delivery, pickup, curbside. And then add the economic pressures in, you've seen an enormous spike in consumer desire for value. You've also seen a big spike in convenience and meal solutions. I mean, you're even seeing categories like frozen, which were on a decline pre-pandemic, actually on a growth trend because people are stocking up on foods and frozen foods are the next best thing to fresh. So there's just an enormous amount of shift. And I think even you're seeing a higher focus on health. People are trying to eat better. They're eating around the perimeter of the store more. And you're starting to see things like center store grocery shrink a little bit. So there's just an enormous amount of change from a consumer insights perspective and where that data is coming from. Like pre-online, we really relied on point of sale data to kind of understand consumers and look at behavioral studies and panel data to kind of really understand the consumer. And now with online shopping, the data points are really, really interesting. You can kind of understand when they're shopping, how they're shopping, what's appealing to them from an advertising perspective. And so there's an enormous amount of shift of where the data is coming from, how to aggregate the data across online and retail, point of sale data, understanding consumer segmentation. I think that's even becoming a unique challenge. You know, we used to kind of base it off of demographic profiles or generational booms, like whether it was the baby boomer or Gen X or Gen Z. You're seeing massive shifts in how these different consumer groups are shopping and behaving when it comes to how they approach purchasing. And then it's varying by category. You know, there's some categories that have just have always stayed in retail and others that have just shifted online. And then you're also seeing a shift into where consumers are buying certain things. They're shifting to drug stores and convenience stores to pick up certain things that they used to pick up at grocery. And then things that they used to pick up at grocery, they're now getting at club stores or at mass merchants. So it's really a very complex world today in how consumers are behaving. And I do think retailers, though, happen to be in a very good spot because they have point-of-sale data. 
They know what the consumers are doing in their stores. They're capturing now online data. They have the data of whether people are more interested in pickup and delivery. And they're really starting to really dive into understanding how it's impacting different departments within the store and different categories. And then you're also seeing a younger generation of consumers that, in my opinion, are becoming a little brand agnostic, which is an opportunity for retailers as they're developing their own brands. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what we want to get into today, right? Because I feel like private label has always been something that has been covered here and there across the retail media realm, so to speak. But over the past few years, again, like you said, I think at the start of the pandemic, we really started to see this doubling down, so to speak, on private label, brand development, product innovation. So you mentioned the opportunity, right? And how there's so much data at retailers' disposal right now. But I mean, What other opportunities have kind of been uncovered, especially for the retailers that have said, we either want to improve the relevance and impact of our existing private label brands, or we want to start new ones, right? Like for instance, Target is one that immediately comes to mind because they have been a very established retailer for quite some time, but only recently have they really invested and elevated their private label approach. So, I mean, how would you connect those dots, I guess, to really uncover the opportunity to help our audience understand that a bit better? You know, private label is interesting. I think that one of the primary strategies behind any private label program is to offer value, right? It's not, not price, value. They're two very different things. And in the case of, like you mentioned, Target, Target probably has one of the most recognized corporate identities of a bullseye in the retail space. Yet, if you look at their private label program, they don't use the bullseye anywhere. And yet, you take another retailer like Wegmans, which also has similar equity in the markets that they play, and Wegmans is on everything. So it's really very interesting. I also think, kind of based off of the last point we were making about data and what's happening with consumers, private label is riding high right now because of the value proposition that it offers. And you've seen that even historically. Back in 2008, when there was an economic recession, private label sales spiked. The challenge that I think a lot of retailers have wrestled with is that when the economic conditions come back to normal, those sales dip a little bit and consumers go back to their own way of shopping national brands. Here's, I think, an interesting point to make. There's a shift in consumer behavior to buy private label because they have to, right? There's economic pressure. They need to save money and they want to save money. Prior to a brand is bought because people want to. And I think that's where the underlying opportunity lies for retailers is, is how do you shift that consumer behavior from I have to buy this because I'm struggling for or I'm looking for value to I want to buy this because I believe in the brand and I've done everything. And that really is going to start with the right product mix, right? Private label is a very difficult business. I mean, take any retailer, take Target, has tens of thousands of SKUs in private label across all categories from fashion to food to general merchandise. Is, is how do you build a brand portfolio that is relevant to different consumer segments and really understanding what the role of the brand is in the category and what should that brand be? So it's a balance of understanding consumer behavior, brand equity, category dynamics, how people shop and behave, and bringing those together to really think about how the portfolio should be shaped, what products should I offer, what brand should that product be in, and then ultimately, how are you going to market it and promote it? 
from a merchandising perspective and how is it going to show up online or advertising and promotion. So it's a balance of a lot of data points to kind of really bring that together. But at the end of the day, it's really going to come down to you can have a great brand. If the product doesn't perform, it's going to hurt you. So then if you have the product that's going to perform properly, then the challenge becomes, do I have it in the right brand? And that's the kind of challenge we see because retailers are merchants at heart, right? They own retail space and their job is to offer products that consumers want. And being a brand manager needs really different skill sets and really kind of understand how do you build the brand, how do you manage the brand, and how do you keep the brand relevant in ever-changing economic and or shopping behavior conditions. So it's really an interesting time today for private label. And I think the opportunity for retailers today is to capitalize on that captive audience that may be buying the brand because they have to, But if they do their homework right and offer the product right and package it right and brand it right, they can kind of shift that behavior from I'm buying it because I have to, but because I'm buying it because I want to. And that's really where I think the opportunity lies today. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction, Todd. And, you know, I was going to ask you about the challenges that come with attempting to do private label, right? But I mean, just listening to your response, it seems very complex and very time consuming. But is there anything in particular that emerges in this process for retailers that really want to make that transition from, oh, we're going to offer this at a lower price for the consumers that have to buy it versus like, oh, we want this to be a valuable brand with equity that drives love for the brand. I mean, what are the challenges that come with trying to do this right and do this well? There are many, right? The retail business is a tough business, right? And you have a lot of saturation in categories. You have a lot of brands in categories, and then you also have your private label offering. I think what makes this business complex is there's certain challenges from a business and operational standpoint. There are challenges from a financial standpoint, and then there's just challenges from an execution standpoint. From a business model perspective, and I'm not saying this happens everywhere, but it could happen, is if you drive private label sales, your top line sales will technically go down, right? Because you're selling cheaper product. And sometimes I think the business model is big retail companies get rewarded on showing top line growth. So that can almost be a deterrent to drive private label penetration, even though the margins and the profitability may be higher. Then you look at brand segmentation. Private label has typically lived in a fairly simple environment where it's good, better, best. Opening price point is offering an acceptable product at a very cheap price. Then you have national brand equivalent, and then you have better for you. We kind of live in that space. You are seeing much more sophistication with retailers and really understanding the different consumer segments to say, hey, I need a baby brand. I need a pet brand. I need an organic brand. I need a gluten-free brand. I need a household brand. I need a non-foods brand. I need a frozen brand. And so you're starting to see a lot more sophistication in that, but then that also creates challenges of saying, wow, is it easier for me to manage one brand or manage 10? I mean, Target must have hundreds of brands across the store. And then you look at someone like a Trader Joe's has one brand, Trader Joe's. Either strategy can be successful. I think it does come down to then operational challenges of can the retailer 
manage a very complex portfolio of multiple brands in a meaningful way or not. Because we've looked at retailers that have expanded their portfolio and said, I got too many brands I need to consolidate. And then we've also worked with retailers that have said, my portfolio is too simple. I need to expand it because I'm not appealing to this health conscious consumer or this beauty consumer. So we've seen it go both ways. I think at the end of the day, the rubber meets the road with the ability to execute and support against it. Do I have the right product? Am I looking at the category right? And am I putting the right efforts behind merchandising, promotion, and strategy to launch it? And I do think that, um, and I'm a little biased here because we're a branding agency and a design agency, I think design is an under-leveraged tool to leverage design. I mean, Target does beautiful package design. Companies like Foxtrot, which are coming out, these convenience stores are doing just using design in a very meaningful way to really tell a story about the brand. And then the other challenge is, I mean, just take the national brand equivalent here in a traditional grocery store. That brand, whichever it is, whether it's the retailer's name or a control brand name, may live on 4,000 SKUs. The consumer purchase behavior in laundry detergent is very different than it is in frozen pizza, which is very different than it is in fresh fruit. And understanding how a brand can have a relevant enough story to be meaningful to a consumer's desire in that category is a challenge. And that's where tools like branding and design can really start to play a role is saying, how am I maintaining that relevance? So it's a really complex environment across sourcing, supply, distribution, branding, packaging, product quality, and advertising and promotion to kind of build private label. And I think, again, I'll just be repetitive on this. It's a very good time right now for retailers to invest in strengthening the perception of their private label brands in the consumer's mind while they are actively purchasing the product due to other reasons, which may be more financially motivated. Okay, great. And I don't want to oversimplify this process, but I'm hoping we can dig into some of the core stages or, or phases of this process, you know, starting with this idea of strengthening the private label brand. And maybe this process differs depending on where a retailer is in terms of developing or expanding their private label brand. But I mean, as far as doing the research, getting all of that audience understanding, the customer understanding required to understand like what needs to be done from like a core brand standpoint. I mean, what is needed to help retailers best identify possible inroads, possible opportunities, because I'm sure not every retailer wants to do everything all at once, right? Like they may want to start in particular categories. Is that fair to say? I mean, how can they best determine where to start, where the opportunities are, and what makes most sense for them. Private label in a retail environment typically lives in the merchandising department with merchants. And yet you'll see organizational structures with retailers radically changing. They're building brand departments. They're building research departments. So having that skill set, the traditional brand management skill set within a retailer is really starting to elevate how private labels are showing up. I think historically, private label was a very me too approach to the market where a brand would come out, the product would come out, 
and then shortly thereafter, a retailer would try to source a manufacturer that could make it for them in a private label that they would then merchandise at a discount, you know, at a 20 to 25% discount in the store. So the brands were actually leading the innovation. And I think over time, and back then, brands used to be the category captains. Retailers used to rely on big brands to come in and tell them who the consumer is in the category and what should be happening in the category. That shifted where retailers are very, very smart today. They have a wealth of data. They understand their shopper. They understand their consumer. They understand how people navigate their stores. They have their online shopping data. They have all of this data. And I think retailers have have really begun to follow very foundational, fundamental brand development processes for private label, which is refreshing to see. It is good customer segmentation. I mean, I would say most every retailer we work with has a very strong understanding of who their customer is, and they have them broken down into segments, whether that's, here's my six segments, and these three are the most important, and I still want to create brands for these groups. So it's having an understanding of the customer. It's having a deep understanding of the dynamics of what the category means, what's selling in the category, what's important in the category, where innovation plays a role, or where price plays a role taking that data and then hypothesizing that into a potential brand strategy approach is the natural next step. And then bringing that to market back to the consumer to say, hey, is this brand appealing to you the way that we've built it? And then testing that with consumers and then iterating and then refining that. I mean, we're working with a retailer right now where we've went out to research, we're testing big ideas close into where they are today to far out to see if they can push the brand even further. They're gathering that qualitative feedback and then refining it. And then when they think we've kind of got that refined to the point where it makes sense, then we're going out and we're doing quantitative data on massive scale to get statistical relevance that there's purchase intent there and that the consumer is accepting of the strategy to bring that to market. So where I think in the past there was not traditional brand development foundational practices on the retail side of the business, I'd say that's commonplace today. It's really just foundational good consumer and market and competitive understanding to build a relevant portfolio that will help them drive share in the category. And there's an interesting statistic that shows retailers that have higher private label penetration have higher store loyalty. So going back to some of the challenges that retailers face or so that's, that consumers are shopping either online or they're going to Amazon or I'm, I'm not buying this at the grocery store anymore, I'm buying this at CVS or I'm buying this at a drugstore or a convenience store or a club store. If you really think about as a strategic tool, private label can kind of even circumvent that, right? Because if I can build loyalty to a private label brand and that customer realizes that they have to come to my store to get it, that may circumvent them going to other stores to buy in that category. So private label is a very strategic, powerful tool that's way beyond just trying to drive a value proposition in the category or margin enhancement in the category. It's really a strategic tool. I actually look at it as a marketing tool for the retailer to tell a story about, hey, and and, and it's okay if that story is value-driven or that story could be like Trader Joe's, very unique and very differentiated. It's just a matter of getting a good understanding of what's important to the consumer, how that translates to marrying up nicely to your banner positioning, and then executing flawlessly. I'm glad you brought up that point about brand storytelling, because I feel like 
you know, again, going back to Target, they have done a really great job. Even Foxtrot, you mentioned them a little bit earlier too. They've done a really nice job of tying the value of their private label brands into like this bigger story. And, you know, I don't want to get into design and packaging just yet. Like we can ask that next. But, you know, as far as like that storytelling aspect, I mean, how can retailers best balance, you know, really putting these brands front and center, especially in context of like, okay, we have like shelves filled with all these other brands too. So like, what is, I guess this is a two-part question, Todd, sorry. Question one is, what are the keys to that powerful brand storytelling? And two is, how do they do that effectively while also balancing the requirements or the best practices for promoting the broader shelf, so to speak? You know, I think today more than ever, consumers are looking to buy into something, which is really the foundation of saying, what's the right strategy and approach for me to build a brand? Right? That's what a brand's about. They're buying into what that brand offers, whether that's around the product offering, values, the value proposition, the uniqueness of the product. And it really comes down to a deep understanding of what's going to drive consumer behavior and then how a brand can resonate with that consumer. And then ultimately how that translate into how it lives in categories and how it lives across the store. I think an, a challenge with private label and building a brand effectively across the store is those unique category dynamics I talked about earlier. Like the purchase intent in laundry detergent is different than it is in frozen pizza. Understanding those category dynamics and understanding how a consumer behaves in a category to another category is going to impact how you shape that brand strategy. So it's a quite challenging process to think about it on such a large scale because if you look at national brands, many national brands live in very focused areas of the store. Coke is in beverages, right? Fritos and snacks. But a retailer's private label lives across the store from the fresh produce to light bulbs and laundry detergent. So... I can't emphasize enough strong foundational understanding of the consumer. And then secondly, is your shopper, right? Because a consumer may behave differently in a Costco than they will in a drugstore. So understanding your shopper, the consumer overall, and a foundational understanding of category dynamics really will help shape how that brand is developed, marketed, and promoted, and then ultimately what's communicated on that pack. Got it. And then how does this connect to that point around design and packaging? Because I agree, honestly, sometimes the best brands, in my opinion at least, are the ones that put so much thought and an intention into the creative aspects, again, meaning packaging, design, and all of those little touches and touch points that reaffirm the brand. So are there any notes or best practices that come from that side of the coin to make sure that the brand really comes to life in the most effective way? Yeah. And I think that's where I think research plays a really important role, right? Because design and creativity is a very subjective thing. You like red, I like blue. It doesn't make you right or me wrong. So, but what color do I make it? (laughs) So And that's where I think testing and learning is really, really important. I I do think over the last five or six years, you've seen significant improvements in package design for private label, where historically it's kind of gone through the generic phase, the line look phase, the make it look like the national brand phase. But now like with Target, with Good & Gather, or even with Trader Joe's, like I'll say this honestly, this is not a knock to Trader Joe's. I don't necessarily think it's 
great package design, great design from a designer's perspective. But if I think about what Trader Joe's stands for as a retailer, the experience I have in their store, how their customer service is brilliant, how they market and promote, the uniqueness of their products and the quirkiness of their packaging is strategically and vertically aligned and integrated across the board. They are telling one very comprehensive story as to what Trader Joe's brings to the marketplace. And they use design in a unique way. And they're not necessarily beautiful everywhere, but it's in a very unique way. So we like to stay close in to where we know the brand is successful. Again, this is maybe more on a redesign, saying, if I'm going to redesign this brand that lives on 4,000 SKUs, I'm going to take iterative steps to see how far I can push this brand to see what resonates with core shoppers and net new shoppers, All right? Because I don't want to lose my existing customer, but I want to attract new customers. And then test and learn in research to kind of really understand to see what's resonating. And you're not going to be able to make it perfect for everybody, but you can really understand what's the communication hierarchy, how does photography and imagery play a role, how does pack structure play a role, and how do features, benefits, and claims sit on the package to kind of drive purchase intent while at the same time building recognition, right, so, and shoppability. We do a lot of things on looking at eye tracking studies, you know, because at the end of the day, it's great to look at a design on a screen and say, hey, that's beautiful, but then go put it on a shelf when it's sitting next to 15 other brands in the category. How is it going to show up? So we do like to spend a lot of time in the store understanding how that brand shows up and how consumers are easily finding it and really easily understanding what's the benefit of that product, whether it's value, uniqueness, organic, or better for you. And then on the brand creation side, when we're creating new brands, the process is fairly similar. We have a good understanding of what the brand's role is, and let's just say it's a better for you brand. What's important to that better for you customer? Is it features and benefits and claims? How does color play a role? How does imagery play a role? How do the ingredients play a role? And then really understanding what's the best way to put that story together so that consumers understand it. And it's they kind of have to get it in two or three seconds, right? Because consumers aren't going to sit there and ponder. And we're also seeing a lot of information shift to the front of the pack so that consumers don't have to turn the pack around to really find that pertinent information for them. So how do I get that information on front of pack so that people understand it? And then ultimately then understanding the competitive set and how I differentiate and tell my story differently than the competitor that's next to me. And then the through line, I think, throughout our entire conversation, Todd, is this idea of using consumer insights, using data, and always having those checkpoints, so to speak, to gauge, you know, relevance, impact, even brand love and loyalty. So you mentioned how to do that from an iteration and improvement standpoint. I'm curious if the same approach can be applied to innovation or expansion into new opportunities, or is the approach a little bit more nuanced or different depending on what the the goals and objectives are? Innovation is an interesting topic, right? Because if you ask the consumer what do they want without context, they might have a hard time telling you. <laughs> so innovation is interesting because that's kind of looking at macro trends. Take plant-based. Plant-based has been a big trend, and you're now just watching this movement just expand everywhere from dairy to meats to snacks. And it's just plant-based is just a growing trend. And I don't think the average consumer would have known, hey, I wanted a plant-based burger. 
even though I'm trying to eat healthier or I'm a vegetarian, I didn't know I wanted it in a burger form. So really that is an iteration process similar to package design in understanding where the trends are happening and where those trends will actually translate into other categories and then coming up with the ideas and then testing them. And we've done some innovation projects for some of our larger consumer packaged goods companies where first we got to find out if we can make the product and then what's the pipeline for the product. Then you almost have to do sensory testing to say, does the product meet a standard? And then you have to say, okay, this unique product is now going to be in this brand. Does that translate? So it's a fairly similar process, but I think the product development side tends to be a little bit more challenging because of the manufacturing component to it. So you've brought up trends a few times using data to understand and respond to those trends. I'm curious, you know, just based on what you are seeing from a consumer perspective, the perspective of your clients, and just even what's happening in the industry at a broader level, I mean, what you expect to see in the future for private label? What will be the keys to success, especially, you know, thinking about it through the lens of younger consumers who are more eager and willing to explore and test different brands? I mean, how do you think this whole space will shake out, especially as we think about holiday and of course, 2024? Alicia, that's an interesting point. I I think I do agree with you that today's younger consumer is a little more brand agnostic where they don't have the historical perspective of where private labels started as, you know, maybe a a cheaper, not as great quality product that some of the older generations do. So I do think you have a more receptive audience to trying different things. I think one of the trends that I've seen over the last two or three decades with private label is private label was when it first started, it was just price, 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 price. And and you had to compromise product quality to get to the price point. That went away. Then it became national brands, right? And then it said, okay, how fast can I replicate a national brand product to offer acceptable, good national brand quality, again, at a value? You know, and that would take years, right? That would take a couple of years. Sometimes we were working with clients for two years to get private label products to market just to kind of match a national brand. Then the industry became very proud of itself of becoming a fast follower, saying, you know what, I can do that much quicker now, right? And that's, I think, just because of advancements in the manufacturing community. I think the future will be all about innovation. I think you will start to see, and you're starting to see it now already. And I'll say Trader Joe's and Target and even companies like Kroger, traditional grocers, are leading in innovation in categories where they've built infrastructures and teams to kind of use private label, not only as a value proposition, but also as a way to bring new things to the market. And they're doing that to try to enhance even their banner perception in the marketplace. So I think you will see a trend of retailers and manufacturers partnering together in much more strategic ways to innovate in categories across the board, hands down. I think the days of being just a follow the leader mindset are going away. You're seeing that trend with branding and packaging and design shift away from the Me Too strategy, and now you're starting to see that happen with product development. I'm in Connecticut, and Ajo Del Hayes, the stop and shop store, which is around the corner from us, they've done some really unique things on a seasonal basis. They've created a whole, I'll call it limoncello flavor profile that comes out at a certain time of year. 
products. It's only out for that period of time. And every year you will see new products coming out with a lemon flavor to it. It could be lemon popcorn. It could be lemon cookies. It could be lemon drinks. It could be lemon snacks. It could be a variety of different things. They promote it. They merchandise. They give it proprietary merchandising and off-shelf displays. And that comes in and that goes away and goes out. You would have never seen that 10 years ago from a private label retailer because they wouldn't have had either the volume or the partnerships with manufacturers to do that. So really starting to see retailers innovate at a brand level, market and promote at a brand level, develop uniqueness on a seasonal in and out standpoint at a brand level, which is really quite refreshing. And I think that will just continue to be the trend. And and retailers, I think, in my opinion, as I said earlier, have really probably more data than the national brands do, right? They're getting their own proprietary data. They got their shopper data. They got their online data. They're very data rich and they're understanding that data is valuable and that data can lead to insights and insights can lead to opportunity. And they're using that information to really develop unique offerings for consumers. It's definitely a very interesting space. And I'm curious to see what other brands come up with over the next year, just because we've seen so many really start to emphasize and invest in their private label brands. But this has been super thought-provoking and inspiring, and we'll just keep our eyes open to see what's next. But for now. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, thank you very much. It's an exciting time for retailers and private label, and I'm equally excited to kind of see what the next few years brings. Thank you for having me again, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you. And to all of you listening, if you have any follow-up questions for Todd, we'll be sure to tag him on LinkedIn, on Twitter. That way he's in tune with any follow-up questions you all have, and we do Love to see these conversations continue once an episode is live. So be sure to do that. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. We're always digging into new trends in brand strategy, marketing strategy, and so much more. Speaking with experts like Todd across the retail industry. So be sure to do that so you get the latest and greatest delivered to your device. We are on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, frankly, anywhere else. We are likely there as well. But for now, that is it from us, everyone. Thanks again to you. Todd, and thanks to all of you for joining us. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.